You're listening to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we talk to some of the smartest entrepreneurs and fastest growing brands on the market today. I'm your host, Laurel Mintz, a reformed corporate M&A attorney who founded award-winning LA-based marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We've elevated some of the world's biggest brands from Facebook, Paw Patrol, and Verizon to innovative startups you haven't even heard of yet. Are you ready to elevate your brand? Keep listening. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I'm joined today by Karen Spencer, who is the CMO of Whaler. Karen, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Laurel. Thanks for having me. So Whaler is like the influencer platform agogo. You guys are massive in the space, um, and you recently were promoted into this position. It's very exciting. Tell us more about Whaler and your role and responsibility there. Yes, thank you so much. It was a happy 2021 uh, surprise uh, to be made the chief marketing officer. I was the SVP of partnerships last year. And Whaler is a global tech-powered influencer agency. A third of our staff are engineers, which is rare for a company like ours. And the work that we do for both brand clients and talent clients is executed on a platform that our engineers built. And that allows us to see things like social media metrics and performance so that all of the decisions we make for our clients can be data-driven. And um, our mission statement is to liberate the creative voice. And what that means for us is that we've seen campaigns perform best when they come from a place of authentic human Mm. creativity. So rather than forcing a marketing message, we ask people to simply share their stories, personal narratives told through the lens of the creative person that they are about why a certain product has impacted their lives. That's so phenomenal. First of all, the fact that you're such a data-driven company is, it's just music to my ears as a marketer, because, you know, for a long time, Influencer was very much Wild Wild West, and Whaler had the foresight to build something that was really um, more technical, more data-driven, as you mentioned, to be able to justify and really have brands understand the value of Influencer, which is vast. So how um, much of the success of Whaler do you believe was due to kind of that early adoption of Influencer as a out, uh, like an outline for marketing? And how much of it was uh, the fact that you guys really doubled down on the technology build side? Well, our company was founded by two entrepreneurs who were their own clients. So they had created a couple of direct-to-consumer businesses, and they had only invested their marketing dollars into influencer marketing. And they utilized their engineering team to develop a platform that would help them source the best influencers for each part of their business and for each different audience segment that they wanted to reach. And they became the highest uh, selling 
selling business on the Shopify platform. And part of their reward for that uh, distinction was to spend a weekend on Necker Island with a bunch of CMOs. And they relayed the story to the CMOs of Dyson and Unilever that they had become really successful by only investing in influencers, but also in in influencers the right way. And Mm -hmm. um, so that is how this company became uh, brand facing because the CMOs said, oh, we'd, we'd love to give that a shot. So I think it's a great place to start from when you know that your product works <laughs> because you built it for your own purposes. Mm-hmm. And I actually worked at the first ever influencer agency called The Audience um, back in the day. And then I moved over to the brand side. I was a vice president at AT&T. I was the head of celebrity and influencer partnerships at Target. And it was actually while I was at Target that one of the founders from Whaler came there to pitch me. And, um, you know, I had really only been taking meetings with influencer agencies for the last few years to kind of, you know, stay in touch with what they were doing. But I really wasn't a fan of the typical model for influencer agencies that I had seen. Because it was broken. It was super broken. So I took the meeting with him more really just out of an interest in having a conversation. And I said, well, here's what I think you should be doing. And here, you know, here's all of my opinions. And he kept meeting me in response with, oh, we've done that. Oh, we've actually built that. Oh, here, let me show you this. And really what um, I think sealed the deal for me and being really interested about this company and then eventually coming over to join them was that Whaler is the first company to ever test the neurological reactions of influencer content on the brains of audiences. So they strapped audiences into neurological reader caps and they exposed them to traditional TV ads or just traditional brand ads in general where, you know, um, like a a car company saying, during these unprecedented times, we want you to know (laughs) that we care about you. You know, that type of thing where a a brand is just speaking at a person. Um, And then they exposed the same brains to influencer content. And what we saw is this high level of brain activity with influencer content. And of course, if the person already knew of and followed the influencer, there was a priming effect there. So that Mm. really just shot it off the charts. But this wasn't even about that. This was just about the scientific proof that human to human connection and messaging works better than corporation to human messaging. So in the end, we saw that influencer content registers as 277% more emotionally intense and 87% more memorable. So when you know that creativity drives emotion, emotion drives memory, memory drives recall, and recall drives sales, we've now got this evidence that I, I think, as you said, people had been looking for around how well influencer marketing worked. Oof, wow. I had no idea uh, the, the, the depth, the scientific depth that you guys had gone to, to um, great lengths. That's amazing. A couple of things within that conversation. One, for those of you that don't know, Necker Island is Richard Branson's island that he only invites a, uh, a sparse few people to, and, uh, and it's like the cream of the crop. So I'm sure that they were amongst very good company when they pitched this idea. And, and they were the people on the island, like those CMOs and like you were mentioning, those were the ones that then eventually invested in growing this company with them, correct? Yes. 
Amazing. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say was, I think you should do voiceover work. You, When you <laughs> went into that um, commercial <laughs> mode, I was like, oh, I feel so calm and relaxed. I feel like you should be selling me a car, um, <laughs> just as a random aside. Um, but, you know, to all seriousness, I think that you guys have really created what is best in class within influencer marketing. And like I said early, earlier, it was very much wild, wild west. At what point do you think people really switched over? Let's like take us back in time. You very much were kind of like just looking at it as an opportunity and doing your own homework and research. But now it's a full blown business, not only on the influencer side, but I mean, obviously you guys are a massively successful firm. Um, at what point did it switch over? Well, I was at the audience, which was really the first time I think uh, digital creators had become commodified. And mm. I want to say that was around 2015 that we really started seeing the emergence of the digital creator as opposed to the traditional talent, which is kind of the two buckets that I put talent in. So think of traditional talent as people who came up through film, TV, or music. And digital creators are people who started posting content on the internet and natively had to understand how to get each platform to work uh, to its maximum degree. And they built their own audiences and that then led to brands coming and wanting to work with them. So it was a bit of a, a reverse engineering of a talent job much different than the way that it used to be, which would be that, you know, an actor would go into an audition and they would be selected for the way that they presented themselves in the room around an audition. But then an, an actor goes into a Hollywood production and they've got a director, a wardrobe team, a makeup team, editors. Um, you know, an actor's job is really to hone their craft and their performance, but to hit their marks and say their lines. Whereas right. digital creators had to start coming up with the full 360 degree version of who they would show up as every day. And that meant you had to be your own director and editor and makeup artist and wardrobe team. And you did everything yourself. And it was taking, uh, you know, I think a, a bigger risk and it's a higher level of vulnerability when you don't have the backing of a big production behind you, but you're just showing up every day on your own, making content and publishing it on on the internet and specifically for traditionally marginalized groups, it's an incredibly mm -hmm. vulnerable place to be because of the amount of hate that just naturally comes along with such a wide community that's on the internet. Um, but to make that consistent commitment to show up with your creativity and your point of view every day until you attract an audience and then can monetize it, um, it really became something that was nascent in 2016. And, um, and I moved over to Vine. I was the head of creators at Vine. And that's when we really saw a lot of conversations in the media about, oh my gosh, can you believe how much brands are paying these kids for a single right. Vine? Mm -hmm. And um, while I was working there, I really had the opportunity to get into the point of view of the digital creators. And first of all, that generation of creators were forging a path that had never been forged before. So every right. decision that they made was one that they were just using their instincts and the advice of those around them to decide on. And that's an incredibly challenging position to be in. And one of the creators said to me one day, you know, people make fun of us for charging $50,000 to make a vine. But on the flip side, I ask myself, 
what's going to happen when I'm 26 and people don't want to watch my vines anymore and I'm at Starbucks filling out an application explaining to them that I've never had a real job but I used to be famous on the internet and <laughs> you know it's like a really oh. a question that they were asking themselves like are we the boy bands of this generation are we going to not be able to build a sustainable career out of this and I think of course we've seen now that there is a path to sustainability and whether or not you remain an influencer for the rest of your career is yet unknown, but there's certainly many skills that come along with being a digital content creator that you can leverage into another career opportunity if that's what you'd like yeah, to do. I couldn't agree more. Uh, let's keep going down this conversation. We're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back. Hi guys, me again. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you more about our award-winning marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We're a full-service digital and experiential agency, meaning we do it all. From event management to content creation, branding, web design, and social media. We're a small but scrappy team of both data nerds and quirky creatives, and we're here to make you look good. After this episode, let's chat about how we can elevate your brand and take you to the next level. Hi guys, thanks for sticking with us. And if you're just tuning in, I am chatting with Karen Spencer, who is the CMO of Whaler. Uh, we were talking about, you know, kind of the the arc of influencer and this conversation that you had with someone who thought they were going to end up as a barista post Vine. So interesting. I also think that it part of the evolution has been because consumers are so much more weary and they just don't want to a lot a lot of them don't believe these giant celebrities that are they know just hawking their wares with no real commitment to the product. Um, I think that's another really big reason influencer has has come up so quickly in the last few years. Thoughts on that? Absolutely. And I think that watch out is actually both for traditional celebrities as well as digital creators. And as I said in the beginning, part of our success hinges on authenticity. Mm -hmm. So when you see Kim Kardashian telling you that she loves Goodyear tires, you know that that hasn't been an incredibly thoughtful, uh, thoughtfully orchestrated campaign. So one of the things that we do from the beginning in sourcing the creators for our campaigns is put a, a call out to the thousands of creators that we work with. Um, who's interested in this brand? Who uses this brand? Can you tell us why it makes your life better? Um, and that's part of the casting process that we go through to make sure that we're not just sticking a tube of toothpaste in somebody's hand and saying, can you can you claim that you use this and that right. you like it? So like a digital um, creative brief that you send out. Yes. And the, the audiences online are so savvy these days. They know if something feels off or not. They know if someone really loves a product. And that's the point is they're looking for these creators to make their lives easier and say, I have tried 10 different kinds of this product and this is the one that I recommended. I'm going to stake my personal brand on this to recommend it to you. And so why do brands still use celebrity if if we know because we're such smarter uh, marketers and smarter consumers that they don't really believe in that product well I don't I don't know if that's always true I think there are a lot of celebrities who want to keep their um, commercial commitments pure and honest um, but I think what you're probably responding to is the over rotation sometimes that you see from brands the Kardashian meeting. Kind of <laughs> yes, kind of needing to have big celebrities in every campaign. And, you know, part of it, I think, is that um, 
people in boardrooms who are making big budget decisions on behalf of brands don't know who digital creators are. They don't Mm. often spend time on um, platforms themselves watching creators. And, you know, there is a bit of that. You want to go home and tell your family that you're working with this celebrity and, um, and you want to recognize the people in your own campaigns. And so what we counsel our brand clients around is, first of all, you're not the audience that you're trying to reach. So it's really not about whether or not you know this particular digital creator. It's about whether or not the audience that you want to reach does. But also I'll say one of the things that I love the most is combining traditional celebrities with digital creators for a campaign because that's when you see this magic, this alchemy that lies in between the collaboration of the two different types of talent um, and, and the benefits that each one of those different types of talent can glean from the other. I'm thinking of um, a project that I worked at at AT&T where we were going to be producing a live streaming concert of Jennifer Lopez the night before the Super Bowl. And in order to drum up a lot of interest and excitement, because of course that was an incredibly busy time online mm-hmm. um, where a lot of different brands were um, competing for eyeballs, we surrounded her campaign with 13 digital creators. And at first, I think there was a hesitancy. And, you know, this was a couple of years ago. I think she's really um, evolved in the last few years. But I think there was a hesitancy back then from her team around, um, you know, oh, she's got to work with influencers. Like, like what, what is this, this, this going to do for yeah, her? You know, sure. like she's the star. And I said, actually, because you want to be relevant, because you want to bring in a younger audience, like, let's take a look at the back end of your audience. Let's see that most of the people who naturally love you at this stage have grown up with you. And so they're 35 and above. So if you want to capture the attention of a younger generation, then you need to go make a video with David Dobrik. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly I don't think she knew who David Dobrik was, but after they made a video together that was, you know, funny and had all kinds of different emotional high points, um, what you saw in the comments after she published the video was, I love you now because David loves you. And you saw an immediate leverage of this new generation over to um, become interested in Jennifer Lopez and what she's doing now. And, And then, of course, somebody like David Dobrik, who, you know, influencers are constantly being questioned by Hollywood. And there's a lot of eye rolling going on from the old guard. And, you know, are these influencers really legitimate. So of course, it's interesting to him to be able to work with a traditional celebrity, and they both get something from it. And then the brand wins um, by putting them all together. So smart. And and the other, I think, really interesting thing, well, for, first of all, I love that you said that this is a top-down issue, right? That a lot of people that are sitting in the boardroom making some of these decisions still are yet to understand the value um, and the leverage ability of celebrity plus influencer. So I love that you um, brought that up. Um, And then the other important piece to note, uh, maybe not on the scale that you guys are executing, but certainly for smaller brands doing micro influencer campaigns, you know, there is a, a cost analysis that you can do. And ultimately, to your point, 
so many of these influencers, influencers are putting so much time, effort, and money into creating their own beautiful creative, it actually makes more sense because they're creating this beautiful user-generated content or getting their audiences to create it based on what they've created. And it's a really cost-effective way to create the vast volume of content, of assets that need to be developed across all these you know, multitude of digital channels now. So I think people need to really understand uh, it's not just that you're paying $50,000 for a vine, it's all of the ripple effect behind that. Absolutely. Uh, and we see with traditional talent, there's not necessarily that pre-baking of creative ideation, but there is the writer that comes along that says, here's how much my hair team's going to be. Here's how much you have to pay my makeup artist. Here's the car service that you need to hire on my behalf. Exactly. And there's a lot of additional costs that comes with hiring traditional talent. And then on top of it, you have to have a creative team, nail the creative that's going to work for both your brand and the talent. Whereas right. um, with digital creators, I'm thinking off the top of my head of Rudy Mancuso, who made this incredible YouTube commercial for Target. He showed up, he had the concept. He was going to play two different people. One of them was a worker at Target. The other one was like a confused shopper at Target. He had written a song. There were lyrics. And so, you know, that was an opportunity for me to go through this exercise where you look at someone like Rudy who showed up completely focused and ready to work for the full day without an entourage, without all of these additional halo costs. And the bang for the buck that you got with someone like Rudy, who has this fully capsulized container of content ready to go and already has this engaged audience that as soon as he drops something like that and his audience sees that he's brought all of this creativity and this level of thinking to this advertisement, they're so excited about it. They're inspired by it. And oftentimes you see fans that have come up with creators like that um, commenting like, yes, get that bag, get your paper, Rudy, because they feel <laughs> they feel that they themselves are succeeding when they see someone who they've grown up with succeeding in that same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the point there really, aside from, you know, mitigating those halo costs, you're also truncating the time uh, allotted to create the creative right from from start to finish. Uh, so there's just so many amazing benefits to working with influencers, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. And then we have a really important conversation I know you want to cover. We'll be right back. Enjoying the episode? I certainly hope so. But we have no way to know unless you tell us. After this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app of choice and let us know what you love and what you want to hear next. This podcast is all about you. And how else are we going to elevate your brand unless you talk to us? All right, guys, chatting with my friend Karen Spencers, the CMO of Whaler. Um, earlier in this conversation, you were talking about how influencer marketing has allowed um, historically marginalized groups to really have a voice. And part of your messaging is about democratizing digital. Uh, I know you are launching or have you launched? Or is it launched? Or we yes. Launched at this yes, it's launched. It launched last week. So you've launched the first house for black digital creators and it's called Crib Around the Corner. I love the concept. I love the name. I love everything about it. Tell us more. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the cast named the house themselves, the Crib Around the Corner, and they did launch with their first TikTok last week. Uh, I checked it this morning. It has 592,000 views. That's organic, Ooh. no paid media. Um, so the reason that Whaler is interested and invested in this is um, because 
of George Floyd's murder, of course. Uh, I think it was a necessary moment for our country to take a hard look at themselves and to make commitments to be more vocal about systemic racism, to stand against oppressions, to, to stand for inclusion and equality. So the first thing that Whaler did was audit both the representation and our staff at every level. And this is important um, because I think particularly sometimes you'll see companies giving you an audit of their staff, um, but the diversity uh, is at the entry level or maybe the Mm -hmm. mid-level, but not Mm -hmm. all the way through every level. It's really important to make sure that the representation at the leadership level um, is at least at parity with the U.S. Census so that the decisions are being made holistically and not through one lens. Uh, so we took that audit and um, and both uh, with our staff as well as the diversity in our campaign casting with influencers. We took a look at that going two years uh, back and we were encouraged to confirm that we over-indexed as compared to the U.S. Census in almost every area. But we wanted to demonstrate our commitments further because even though we were at this crucial point where brands were now saying Black Lives Matter. I'm sure you remember two, three years ago, brands were hesitant to even say that. So right. we we crossed over this um, giant hurdle last year in getting brands to say that Black Lives Matter. But then it was also about, well, h- how can you really demonstrate that? How can you make sure to be um, putting your commitment to work. And we right. started with a pro bono project called Black Light. And this is in partnership with Afropunk, the artistic global concert series that has obviously been so challenged by the pandemic. Um, and with uh, Fresh Tape Media, we asked brands to start contributing to a fund used to play to pay Black creatives to tell their stories. So I think sometimes what happens um, when Black creators are hired, and let's call Uh, this month out in particular, in February, every brand goes, how do I tell the Black History Month story? Where can I get a Black creative? Okay, now let me hire someone Black and ask them to say this thing on behalf of our brand. So we took a step back and said, what if we just ask Black creatives to share whatever they wanted um, for people to know and have that distributed by the large Afropunk network to both broaden the pipeline for discoverable Black talent and also to increase the empathy and the understanding that I think this country needs to have for the Black community as a whole. So um, now our it's a most big re- undertaking and <laughs> it's just so amazing. And I think your point is so well taken that there are so many brands and companies out there that have given a lot of lip service, but they've been really performative and not really um, proactive and um, follow through. And to your point, there hasn't been parity. So I think that's such important to, uh, important uh, point to note. It's it's not something that can just happen once um, uh, once a year during the right. month of February. You've got to challenge yourself and and audit yourself constantly. Um, so our our new project that we're so excited about is uh, the crib around the corner, and that is the first house specifically for Black digital creators in Los Angeles. You may be familiar with uh, TikTok houses. That's sort of what this mm-hmm. is. Uh, this cast has more than twenty million followers on TikTok alone, but they do post on every social media platform. So we identified the the problem, right, which was that all of these TikTok houses in Los Angeles are largely white. And I'm sure that you've seen examples of um, 
black creators driving culture, but often mm-hmm. their level of compensation and credit is not comparable to white creators. I think uh, The Renegade is a great example of that. Taylor Lorenz wrote this great article for the New York Times about it. A young black dancer named Jalea Harmon created The Renegade, which was a dance that blew up on TikTok last year. And Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Ray, a bunch of um, really famous, high-followed white creators were rewarded with fame and fortune when they brought it to the masses. But um, we didn't see the same thing happen for Jalea Harmon. And we know that societally and algorithmically, Black creators are challenged in seeing that same level of success that white creators do. So... You're changing that. I I mean, that's the whole point here, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And what I really want to impress on brands who are always keeping an eye on their profitability is that this is absolutely a moral imperative to run your business aligned with anti-racist values. It's high time and it's overdue. But there's also a major business opportunity that's been largely untapped until now to speak to individual groups personally. And I'm going to use that buzzword again authentically. Um, So the old school formula of like marketing to the masses and then making one quote unquote minority commercial a year, it just doesn't reach into niche communities and speak directly to them. And you leave a lot of money on the table when you're not speaking directly to these underserved communities. And that's what we're aiming to prove with the crib around the corner, that when you as a brand empower a group of young Black talent to do what they know how to do so well, connect with their audience, that your brand is going to see a natural, unforced lift with that demo as well. Well, I can't wait to see the demo, the, the data on that. And we'll have to invite you back to speak about that specifically. Is there a timeline that you guys are giving yourselves on that project? Yes, uh, six months. And we have secured a handful of brand partners that we're so excited to be working with on this. And again, that that is the point of this really is using that data to then show brands what this opportunity is and how nascent it is and how still untapped it is for a lot of different underrepresented groups. Um, in hopes that the these kind of minority budgets that big brands hold will be shifted more into projects like this that are less prescriptive and more natural and organic. That's so great. Well, thank you for doing that work. It's important. It's necessary. Um, let's make it happen. Everyone listening, if you represent a brand, get in touch with Whaler. Uh, you know, this is what they do, and they're leading the charge in uh, in creating parity amongst cre- uh, content creators. So thank you for that. Um, we're going to shift focus a little bit, make it a little bit more fun, talk about you, and ask you some just quick fire questions to get to know you as a leader in your community just a little bit better. So uh, <laughs> the first question is, what is the one thing you could not live without during the pandemic? My partner, my life partner, John. Oh, sweet. Uh, And um, the cocktail of choice if you drink? Only Veuve Clicquot Rosé Champagne ever. Oh, okay. We need to hang out more. (laughs) I like that. I like that one. Um, my, My next question, this could be something that comes to just top of mind or something that has had meaning for you over time, but your favorite word and why? I'm going to say flexibility because I find it, especially in these unprecedented times, um, (laughs) just the most necessary thing for all of us to have every day. 
could not agree more. Um, is there a question that I haven't asked that you wanted to answer? I haven't asked that one before. I think that's an interesting one. Mm, like turn the tables. Yeah. Like, What, what do you want I people like to know about you, you that I haven't asked? Me. That's a good one. I don't know. You've been pretty forthcoming with information and you have such an amazing uh, you know, background and knowledge in this. I can't imagine there would be much we haven't covered today. <laughs> uh, but in case something comes up, let us know. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, last but not least, I want to let you have the floor for a moment to let people how, know how to get in touch with you. And then also just any final words of wisdom. Absolutely. Uh, I am at Karen Spencer on Twitter and my name is K-A-R-Y-N. S-P-E-N-C-E-R. My mom had to make my life a little extra difficult with that Y. <laughs> but I use Twitter all the time and I love having conversations there. And um, my my last few words for you would be that uh, the first thing that matters is love. And the second mm. thing that matters is creativity. Oh, I love that. Karen, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, but I'm so glad we had an opportunity to share your message and the message of the Whaler brand on the podcast today. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you, Laurel. Take care. And thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for more Elevate Your Brand coming up next.